Support for this podcast comes from CLR Clear. Fight back against annoying household messes with CLR Clear. CLR Clear is tough on dirt and grime all around your home, and we're not just talking about calcium, lime, and rust. They have an entire lineup of cleaning products for your kitchen, bathroom, garage, and more. Visit clrbrands.com to learn more. CLR Clear, fight the clean fight. Eileen Fisher designs simple clothes to make your life easier. Timeless pieces in high-quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and more positive impact in the world. Visit EileenFisher.com and use offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. Welcome to Call Your Girlfriend, a podcast for long-distance besties everywhere. I'm Amina Tussauds. And I'm Ann Friedman. On this week's agenda, why the glass cliff is an imperfect metaphor. Al Franken and what's next for Me Too Men, plus listener letters about using the phrase, hey guys, and what to do about managing a bruised male ego in the workplace. Hello, Ann Friedman. Hey, boo. Hey. How you doing? <laughs> you know, I'm doing pretty good, actually. You, like, kind of helped me recalibrate when you were like, maybe don't live a gross freelance life and consider taking a shower today. So I'm back. <laughs> are you kidding? You are the one who changed my life with the, like, checklist of, like, okay, if you were feeling kind of emotionally miserable ask yourself have you showered have you eaten have you like left your house in the past 24 hours like that minor checklist has honestly I think that's something you posted post-election but has honestly changed my freelance life always it's like that that shower man that like get your life back together shower I'm back okay oh the midday shower talk to me what's what's going on on this podcast today okay well I realized somewhat belatedly that because we like we're so excited to be at the end of our month of blood drives we failed to ever give like a final update on this podcast for the number of donations that we clocked in our many cities i believe there were 7 overall and then plus the individual donations which were as many if not slightly more than the people who gave at actual drives for a total of 580 pints of blood. Whoa, that's what? Like 580 times three, do the math, somebody. <laughs> and that's how many potential that's, like life-saving I donations. know, that's pretty cool. Um, all of this blood is not going to fit in my freezer. What are we going to do with it? <laughs> <laughs> Stop it. This joke, this joke would be funnier if people hadn't straight up asked me if you were actually using all the blood. Like that is a I question know. that people that, ask this me. This is a so. question that I have gotten also is they're like, well, I'm AB negative. Um, can you use that? And I'm like, girl, please. First of all, I don't want any of y'all's raggedy blood. I need you. <laughs> I was like, I need your blood to replenish the blood banks around the world that I have stolen blood from. So uh, this was, it was so fascinating. You know, the other thing that was really funny about the blood drive 
is that I know so much about all of our friends' medical conditions now and the medicine that they take because when people couldn't donate, they were embarrassed. And let me tell you this. If you cannot give blood, please don't be embarrassed. Giving blood is a scam and it is like a very discriminatory scam. Like there are there are obvious reasons that we don't let people with, um, you know, I don't know, like tropical kinds of diseases that you can use anti-malarial fours or whatever, like not give blood. But there is also like a well-documented discrimination against queer and trans people. And so if you can't give blood, please don't feel bad. If you can give blood, please give more than once because it's such an easy way to like save a lot of people's lives. Yeah. And a lot of the local blood banks that we partnered with, if you gave, will send you an email when your blood is used so you can see roughly the the way it was used and the people you helped, which I think is I think is a cool upside of, you know, momentarily sidestepping your beliefs to participate in this fucked up system. Totally. <laughs> so, I like yeah. I am so here for blood drives. I am somebody who has benefited greatly from the kindness of strangers. And I'm just so happy that as a community we could give back. Yeah. So um this is sort of like putting a bow on that effort. Thanks to everyone who organized and volunteered and gave on your own and with groups. Thanks to everyone who couldn't give or, or didn't give, but supported us in other ways. Um, we love you all. 580 pints, baby. That is a great number. <laughs> Hold on. I'm doing this math. Holy moly. 1,740 human beings can like be helped with that much blood. That's a lot mm. of people. I love it. A heavy flow indeed. <laughs> Good job, Team CYG. Oh, man. Another thing uh, that um, we've gotten a lot of uh, mail about recently is our admission last week that we didn't know what it was called when a woman is like brought in to replace a man that has fucked up something like very serious in the workplace. Um, Thank you to the one million people who reminded us that it's called the glass cliff. We have a lot of feelings about um, why that metaphor does not work and probably why we don't remember it. Yeah. So, I mean, this is just striking me at like the heart of my word nerdiness because I Capricorn word nerdiness. Listen, when you're an editor and a Capricorn, an imprecise term for sexism in the world, there's just like, I, I can't even handle. So like, I understand that glass cliff is referential to the glass ceiling. It was coined in 2004 by Michelle Ryan, who's a professor at the University of Exeter. Um, I get why we want a term for this, but also like, okay, let's just walk through this metaphor. If it's a glass cliff, that means you feel like you can't see anything beneath you. So you don't feel supported. You're like, am I just walking on air? And then <laughs> guess what? There's a glass, there's something glass beneath you holding you up. Like that metaphor, like th that does not hold up. The glass ceiling is like you thinking, you think that you can rise indefinitely, but actually there's an invisible barrier. The metaphor makes sense. The glass cliff makes no sense. I'm like, it needs to be something about how like you think you're brought in to lead, but really you're just like there to clean up a mess. And so I was like, maybe it should be like the glass broom or something like that, where you're like, you can't see that you're actually holding a cleanup tool or like something that has to do with that aspect of it. Because I'm like, the glass cliff just is like, does not make any sense. I'm just still laughing at you saying like walking on air. <laughs> yeah, like you're Wiley, uh, Wiley E. Coyote and Roadrunner like strutting out and you know, you're like, yeah, like I'm just great. I'm nothing is supporting me at all. And oh shit, actually I'm super supported. There's a glass cliff down there. That makes no sense at all. I'm getting enraged just thinking about it on a word level. So uh, 
Um, sorry, but not sorry. I won't be using that term. I don't feel sorry. <laughs> Tune in next week for when we explain the glass guillotine. Uh, oh my God. Um, uh, I'm going with glass broom. That's where I'm doubling I, down. No, glass broom is great. Um, very impractical. I'm just I'm seeing the the Cinderella ness of it all right now, and it's ooh maybe it's a glass shovel ooh. where you have to like get rid of all the shit the men have left there maybe right, and then you is. like dig your own grave at the same time. Glass shovel, wow, that's what it is. Look at us, wow, look at us. I'm so glad we workshopped this. I know Cinderella's glass shovel, a glass <laughs> shovel. That's what it's called. Oh, you know she was shoveling some print shit after her happy ever after. <laughs> you are killing me. Okay, we've also gotten a lot of mail this week, so let's read some listener mail. Hi, Hi ladies. I'm a big fan. I wanted to respond to the latest CYG episode. I was a staffer for Al Franken. Thank you for mentioning the staff and loss to their work careers in terms of Schneiderman. I do think that gets lost. However, it breaks my heart every time I hear Al's name get lumped in with bad men. The stories about him have been disputed, and there was a sort of hysteria around it at the time. Many of the other senators have done many worse things and are still in office, including some female senators who are very abusive to their staffs. Al was the opposite, and even reporters digging for dirt quoted female staffers as saying it was the best experience of our lives. I think these conversations deserve some nuance. And if not in Al's case specifically, I'd be interested to hear convo about, um, in quotes, believe women versus, in quotes, hear women. I am a feminist and I want women's voices to be heard, but I think a blanket believe women no matter what is unwarranted. Thanks for reading. This male is the kind of male that makes me want to flip a table. Let me tell you why. Is it the word hysteria? That was a hard one for me. <laughs> if you're a woman who calls other women hysterical, you need to look in the mirror and literally write like on your own, like on the caption of the mirror, I am the problem. Okay, let's let's start. I was a staffer for Al Franken. Great. You know Al Franken personally. I don't know why people think that this should be something that we should listen to. You know, that like because they have proximity to someone, they know. I was not a staffer for Al Franken, but I will tell you this without betraying the confidence of the groups that I'm in, that months before the Al Franken story came out, somebody shared a story about how Al Franken had like done something to a friend of theirs that definitely falls in the realm of like bad man TM and definitely should be fired TM. I heard that story and thought, mm, that's odd, and then like kind of moved on because it does not concern me. The barrage of stories that came out like months later about this was striking to me because it corroborated that first incident that I'd heard about, but did not include this one woman in particular. And that woman is also like a liberal woman in a very liberal kind of profession. So... Don't take my word for it, but certainly don't take the word of like somebody who feels proximity to Al Franken for it. It doesn't matter how close you are to them. Literal wives of rapists like claim that they don't know that their husbands are raping people. Like, hello. And they don't. And they don't know. Camille Cosby. Yes. And they don't. It's so manipulative when the people who are close to men who are accused, especially when they are women, use their proximity to protect them. 
I have never seen when a woman has been accused of like a bad thing and there are 20 men behind a podium going, so-and-so is a good woman. She would never do that. Maybe if I live like a million more years, I will see that. But if you've heard of such a thing, please let me know. I want to address this, this point about the fact that this person is clearly in pain. I mean, she says, it breaks my heart every time I hear his name. And I think that like one thing is like, yeah, it is painful to find out that like someone who you very much respect has been doing things that you don't respect. I know, right? Anne, but like, that's literally the point dissonance. we were making on the last episode. The reason that I am upset about this is because like, sure, like that person is hurt, but are they more hurt than the women who have been actually hurt by Al Franken? I don't think so. <laughs> that is precisely where I was going. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just like so tired of coddling people who are like hurt in quotes. I'm like, what harm has been done to you? Like, let's lay it out on the table here. Yeah. Is the harm that like your boss from SNL that you loved is like a jerk? Like, I am sorry for you. Yeah. I mean, the the other thing that I want to say, and this is something that I wrote a whole column about after the Aziz Ansari thing that I feel very strongly like I just have to keep returning to is to this point about a conversation about, quote, believe women versus, quote, hear women. Um, I think that, like, uh, one thing that's going on here is, and I think that... Yeah, believe... Sorry. I'm like, I am hysterical (laughs) now. My blood is boiling. I don't understand how calm you can be about this. I am so upset. I'm breathing through my nose and exhaling words through my mouth. That's what's, I have, I have some kind of meditative breathing going on. Okay, so here's what I'm going to say about the like hear versus believe versus listen to women. I think that if you are actually listening to what women who are coming forward about their experiences have to say, in many cases, they are not saying fire him, he's a monster, like, I can't believe anyone ever worked with him. You know, in most cases, they're just saying, like, I feel gaslit by the world that no one has acknowledged or that my experience with this person that does not line up with their public persona has not been recognized, right? And people who have a tendency to use Al Franken as this example of overreach are not listening to the people who are coming forward with those experiences in terms of like what they actually want to see happen. They are like responding to a straw woman or like they're responding to a bunch of questions actually in the coverage of the event or in or questions posed by people defending him about what should happen next. You know, I mean, there definitely are people who come forward with a story like this that say, look, like I, this man needs to go to jail. And there are like plenty of situations in which people have testified against these men to send them to jail. Right. But in the Al Franken thing, did people say that or did people literally say, hey, here's a picture of Al Franken pretend groping me while he's while I'm asleep. Right. On a plane. She, she, you know said, what I mean? she said, I've decided it's time to tell my story. She didn't say I've decided it's time to fire Al Franken. Leanne Tweeden, who is the woman who is in that photo being groped by Al Franken. If you actually read her statement, she says, look, I'm telling my story because I felt like I had to hold this inside. I'm not afraid of the impact on my career to tell this story. I want to empower other women to talk about what had happened to them at the hands of other men. And I'm angry about what he did to me. She said, quote, I had locked up these memories of helplessness and violation for a long time. So like she's doing that to unlock something for herself. She is not saying fire this man. She is not saying lock him up, send him to jail. She's basically saying, 
I want the public record to reflect this behavior as well as all of these other positive things. Like that is that is what this statement says. And I like I think that's a very different thing than a bunch of people who are covering that story, pressuring Franken's colleagues to make a determination about whether or not he should stay in office. Those are two different things. And so to the question, okay. framing this as a believe women or don't believe women is a really artful sidestep. It's like one thread of like... Also, believe women when we have photo evidence. Like, are you kidding me also? You know what I'm saying? It's like, this is literally not a he said, she said. It is a, here is the photo she shared about the thing he did. And then we can all decide what that means to us. And also, we're only talking... In this specific incident, we're only talking about that one woman that you Mm -hmm. mentioned. Sorry, what was her name? I believe. Leanne Tweeden. And to back up, a lot of people have pointed out that, like, you know, her politics are not Democrat left politics. So they feel like it is a rat fuck, right? That, like, he was totally set up by this person who has been on Fox News. And here's what I will say to that. It's quite possible that it's a rat fuck, like 100%. But I have also seen with my own eyes that he did the thing she accused him of doing. So, like, maybe the thing here is... If you can't do the time, don't do the goddamn crime. Because here's the other thing, too, about Al Franken that is true, is that his comedy is incredibly misogynist. I did not grow up watching SNL. And uh, everything that I have seen recently that he has done is, like, shocking. It's like, I get it that, like, the culture has moved on, but I'm like, come on. That show would not be on TV today. So please, like, look inside your heart. Here is, like, a grown man um, doing, like, really like very childish, like misogynist things to women and they're supposed to be gaslit. Yes, even even conservative women who are like planted to topple leftist men like deserve not to be harassed or groped. Like that's also true. And another thing in this letter truly that I want to point out is this argument that like many senators have done many worse things and are still in office. That's the goddamn point. You can't like ask a people to clean the house if you can't clean your own house. And it's really painful for Democrats right now that we are losing people left and right to like all sorts of allegations. But I'm going to tell you what, if we don't get rid of these people, it's very hard to like look at the country that we live in with the president that we have and say that like he must go. It's really easy to call for other people to change. But can you like ask for change in your own house? That's how you know how serious you are about it. The thing that concerns me about like a letter like this or even the sentiment is that who is going to pay the price for it? It's going to be Kirsten Gillibrand. It's going to be Kamala Harris. It's going to be like whichever one of these, you know, women run in 2020 or beyond. The the glass shovel brigade of Congress. (laughs) Yes. Our good friend of the podcast, Laura McGann, wrote like a really great piece about Al Franken and how by people, I mean, mostly men still write her about how like hurt they are about how we feel about this. And we'll link to it in the show notes. But the piece is like very deft. She points out that like Gillibrand is who like we look at as to like who has ousted Franken. And here's the truth. Did Kirsten Gillibrand like start a firing squad to fire Al Franken? Or was it true that she was just trying to do the job that she does every single day, day in and day out, representing her her constituents? You know, like I'm a very proud constituent of hers. And that everywhere she went, people in the media would ask her about it. It's like if Al Franken didn't want to be a distraction, he should have left. They could have investigated him. There were many mechanisms and tools that they could have used. If he felt really strongly about it, he shouldn't have gone anywhere. But the truth is that like 
So far, all of the things that he has been accused of, he didn't say he didn't do. Like, you can say that they're disputed, but, like, tell me one case of harassment or anything in the Me Too movement that we all, like, collectively looked around and said, yeah, that sounds about right, like, and didn't dispute anything. I mean, the worst of the worst cases. Like, the answer to that question is the worst of the worst. Yes, like, like Harvey Weinstein is disputing yes. what he's oh, done. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? And if you like call yourself a feminist and you say that you believe women or you hear women, whatever terminology you want to use, when a woman tells you that she has been hurt, your first thought shouldn't be like, well, if she hasn't been violently sexually assaulted, how bad can it be? You know, like that is that's like something I think like an instinct that we all need to examine. If you are listening or believing or hearing or whatever it is that you claim to do with women, it's like listen to them when they tell you that they're upset and that they're hurt. Like that, like that is true. And it adds up over time. Yeah. Laura has a great section in her piece about Franken about this, where she writes, most of the emails I receive about Franken are written earnestly, but they've got a sort of creepy quality nonetheless. The premise is basically that Franken's behavior wasn't that bad. Let me make this clear. It is that bad. The same impulse that drives the men outed in this in the Me Too era drives the kind of behavior women described in their Franken accounts. Yeah, plural, because there's more than one. We did not even get into the others. These stories are about a man using his power to belittle, humiliate, or take advantage of a woman who can't do much about it. It's cruel and it's damaging. Ugh. Anyway, good luck to this listener um, in, you know, whatever your next endeavors are. I, like... It, this is it, this doesn't come from like a personal place. It's just like very dangerous to me when there are more than one woman who feels this way and then voices it because all it does is protect these dudes more. If you actually want to see men change and become like fulfill their full potential in the era of Me Too, let them clean up their own messes and let them defend themselves. It's not going to kill any woman to just take a deep breath and instead of saying out loud, he didn't do anything to me to just sit with that and let it all play out. Because so far, all these guys are doing fine. And I guarantee you that the way this is going, Al Franken, Bill O'Reilly, um, that like boring one, Charlie Rose, they're all going to have a TV show together by the end of the year. Like, don't worry about it. And you would have been complaining. Right. And, the, you know, also just on a level of logic, the he didn't do anything to me argument basically is like he was able to refrain from harassing or abusing literally every woman he came into contact with, which is like, which is like <laughs> the lowest bar that yes. one could he, Basically, that's saying like, look, he clears, he clears a, a like the bar required for like existing in humanity or like he cleared he cleared that right. bar. I mean like every every single like man in question every single man on the planet every single person on the planet has cleared that bar right like it is not a noteworthy thing to say that like hello here I am one non-harassed woman creep oh 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 he's a creep yeah don't keep it on the down low everybody else should know Every generation has its challenges. Some would say that's the reason for its progress. It might start with a small act of kindness or a big idea that changes everything. It can come from the tiniest voice or the voice of a generation. Or it could come from me. I mean, not to. I am one of six change-making women featured in Eileen Fisher's Good Goes On campaign this spring. The campaign highlights women empowering women, the importance of sustainability, and the power of good design. 
Eileen started in 1984 with the idea that simple clothes can make life easier. And after spending a day on set wearing a super comfortable ultra chic jumpsuit, I think she's really on to something. As a company, Eileen Fisher believes doing well by doing good, and that's reflected in the way their clothes are made. Timeless styles and quality materials that are responsibly sourced for less impact on the environment and a more positive impact on the world. It was a real honor to be featured in this campaign and meet the other women making a difference in their community. I've been a longtime Eileen Fisher fan, so this was a dream come true for me. You can visit EileenFisher.com and use the offer code GIRLFRIEND to receive $25 off of your $100 purchase. That's EileenFisher.com, offer code GIRLFRIEND for $25 off. I'm giving everybody in my life that Kate Mann book. Is that how you say her name? Man, M-A-N-N-E. I don't know, actually. She's this, like, badass philosopher, you know, a daughter of Australia. She teaches at Cornell, though, I believe. The Dworkin of our generation. <laughs> but the book is <laughs> called Down Girl. You know, it's all about, um, and I think we've talked about this on CYG before, empathy. This, like impulse that we all have to like find some sort of humanity and like men who do bad things whether they're the guys who are like the the like white domestic terrorist or the like bad um you know the bad bosses that you have however you qualify it is yeah there's always like empathy and droves for those guys there's always a like oh maybe he did this because his wife wasn't sleeping with him or because he was sad or he did this when he was young and stupid and now he's done so much for the movement but nobody is looking at the women who were hurt by this and saying wow i wonder all of the ways that a lifetime of this has damaged her or how she's not working or how like this has cut to the core of her self-esteem Nobody does that for women. And I'm like, I wonder why that is. The fact that like there are so many women in Al Franken's office who banded together to write a letter. There were women in media who like, I'm so disappointed by this. Like Rachel Maddow, like Andrea Mitchell, like all these women who banded together to write a letter about how like Tom Brokaw didn't harass them and they've only seen him be a stand-up person. I'm like, yeah, Rachel Maddow, you're a lesbian. Andrea Mitchell, you're literally married to one of the most powerful men in the world. Of course, you're not going to see this kind of bad behavior from your colleague. You know, it's just like, why... The day that I see a man write a letter about this for a woman, like I will like I will be shook. But in the meantime, I will just keep looking at it and be like, yes, this is par for the course. If a man hasn't done anything bad to you and somebody else is saying that they're hurt, just sit with that feeling. You don't have to say anything about it publicly. Sit with it, challenge your friend in private, but do not use your influence and your power to like make somebody who already feels powerless feel like more has been taken from them. Yeah, I mean, I also think that the formulation of not one of the bad ones is is really damaging as we think about like the long term here because like the truth is like there really aren't like there is no there is no like like high level like yes you are a bad one oh no you are a good one who made a mistake like there is no feminist tribunal that like is declaring this from on high as much as like aggrieved commenters would like to believe that there is and I you know I've been thinking about this um, Katie J M Baker wrote a New York Times opinion 
essay about yeah. what do we do with these men is the, is the headline. My feeling about it is basically like, we can't start to answer that question until we acknowledge that it's not like these men are not this like clear category of like bad guys whose offenses are all like proven in court. Like we're talking about behavior that could have been exhibited once by someone who is otherwise a like air quote gold star feminist, or it could be someone with like a pattern of like really terrible Right. It's literally why we say it's a systemic issue. Like, I don't give a shit about your like individual monsters. Right. Those guys aren't the guys who do that. But the truth is this, like every man in your life can be a monster to somebody like that is true. That is like actually true. And that's the thing that we all have to contend with. Yeah. And I think that like this is this is at the heart of like like why Franken in particular is such a touchstone. Um, Laura McGann has been tweeting some of the responses to that piece that she wrote about Franken. And she got a letter that says a big reason that the Al Franken episode left a bitter taste in the mouth of a liberal middle-aged white male like me is that probably most of us have done something stupid regarding women in the past that if paraded against current standards would look bad. For instance, I can pretty much guarantee you that a large portion of American men, I would guess a majority, committed what would be considered rape under many explicit consent rules now in effect on many campuses. Thank you for making our point, sir. Right. Oh my God. And okay, so that that is a thing that like most, that is knowledge that a lot of us walk around holding already, that like many, many young women walk around with that knowledge already. That does not mean it's all chill and fine. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? Like we all recognize this to be the truth and that's why this is so hard. That doesn't mean like we all recognize this to be the truth. So no big deal. They all get a pass. You know what I mean? It's true. <sighs> it's true. You know, one thing that I've been thinking about and struggling a lot with, with the Me Too movement also, is that for all of this, like, trust women and believe women or whatever, there is still a category of woman that we, no matter how liberal you are, everybody has a woman that you, like, kind of look up to and you're like, I don't know that I would trust this lady for whatever reasons you have. Like, I will say personally that if Rose McGowan had come out like even a day before the Harvey Weinstein story and said that like Harvey Weinstein had like he had sent Mossad agents after her, I would have institutionalized her myself probably. And it turned out that it was true. It was actually true. And so the thing that like from a personal place like I have been struggling with a lot is rethinking whenever like there is something about a woman that I don't... Um, like, trust isn't even the right word because, like, these people don't owe me trust. Anytime I'm skeptical about a woman's claim about anything, instead of thinking, like, what are all of the ways that they could be deceitful, I think about, like, what all of the biases are that I have that make me not want to believe that person. It has been proven so many times since this tidal wave have started that everybody is, like, very methodical about how they pick their targets and who it is that they're harassing and how it is that they're doing it. And there is a reason some people are more vulnerable than others. There are reasons that patriarchy also pit women against each other. And this is like one way that it displays itself. And so I have been confronted with that, you know, and I'm, I'm not proud of it. Like I'm, I'm literally, I'm saying it out loud because I hope that a lot of other women will be confronted by that same instinct that they have. Instead of just saying like, that lady does not sound trustworthy. Really think to yourself, like, why do I think that? And what is every force at work here that would make me not want to hear this person out. Right. And think about the forces that are encouraging you to publicly disavow her story as well. Right. Cause that's like, that is the flip side of this coin. Like not only what is happening inside you, 
or what are what are your own biases or like the lessons you've absorbed in this world to not not believe her story like even if you are listening to it but also then like why do you feel compelled to say that publicly one place i agree with this letter writer is or you know or a sentiment i agree with is that these stories actually should be investigated to the full extent because what happens when people just get fired or they get dismissed and then we don't hear all the details People are allowed to say things like, oh, that didn't seem that bad, or we don't know the full story, or whatever. If you've been paying attention to the Washington Post, there's been more reporting from Erin Carmone and Amy Britton about Charlie Rose specifically, and you know the larger forces at CBS that kind of kept it all under wraps, really going to the heart of like what the institutional forces are that can keep men like this in place. And I wish that the Senate and the House would do the same thing. Because unless people know all of the details, there is always room for speculation. To go back to everybody's favorite monster, Harvey Weinstein. One reason that Harvey Weinstein um, is gone is because there was like a thorough forensic analysis of what he did. And the other reason that Harvey Weinstein is gone is because I would submit to you that his power was dwindling and uh, he was no longer an untouchable person. So therefore, like, you know, fell very hard. It's not enough to just for reporters and media to just like write up about like a specific allegation or an accusation. We need to know the details and we need and we need to get to the bottom of these things because otherwise, like the public will just keep saying oh, this doesn't seem as bad as X or as bad as Y. It's like, look at R. Kelly still out here prospering. And we like know a lot of the shit that R. Kelly did. All of this to say that we are not fair in how we treat all of these allegations and that as society as a whole, we still chafe a lot at like watching men just be taken to task for very bad things that they do. Yeah, I mean, I, I've been thinking a lot about like, I, I believe it was... Um Erin Carmone and Amy Britton, who coined the phrase the not-so-fast phase of the Me Too movement to describe things like defense of the like not-so-bad men that we're talking about here. There's a lot of air quotes in that sentence. I hope you could hear them. But I've been thinking a lot about, as well, like at this point, how Me Too or this collective reckoning has been, is welcome and is very important, but also just like the huge extent to which it has created more work for women in particular. I don't know. I've also been thinking about it in light of like a lot of conversations about emotional labor recently, but like women whose bosses are like, oh, what what are the best practices? What should we be doing? Like who are basically just going to their employees who happen to be women to be like, how do we fix this? Or like women uh, who have heard stories from their colleagues uh, privately and then have to decide what to do with that. Or women wrestling with what they've been told in confidence by maybe even like other like men that they work with or people not wanting to out other stories and having to decide about that men wanting reassurances that they're not that bad and then also like explaining to men that like no the al frankens and the harvey weinsteins are like not the same but also like yes here are some fundamental ways they they are like all of that kind of like lifting and labor as a result of this is like you know it's made me think a lot about the uh, you know, like when you go to clean your room and it just like turns into like the most disgusting mess before you can like put things back. Like, you know, you needed to do it. It was disgusting yeah. in there. But like the labor required, like once you get dug in, I don't know. I've just been thinking about that a lot lately. And as a result of like emails I've gotten from like women and colleagues of mine just being like, hey, like I've been wrestling with this information that has come to light or like these requests that have been made of me in this era. And so... 
just want to acknowledge to everyone listening that like we all know how much work we are doing behind the scenes and among each other. And I, I don't believe that it is less than or easier than the kind of like, you know, panic that like men may or may not be feeling about having their behavior outed. <laughs> I know, you know, but one of the things that's so um, striking to me is all of the parallels with the stuff with, um, like, it's, you know, like, I'm like, I'm a black person, so it's hard for me not to see it through the lens of race. Yeah, totally. <laughs> and I'm just like, wow, like, white woman fragility, like, here's how weaponized and dangerous it gets, you know, where it's like, okay, in my conversations with a lot of people of color is that all we're doing is just like watching and waiting. We're like, where's the me too for like race? Because <laughs> is it going to happen? Is it even possible? You know, personally, the way the world is going in my lifetime, I don't believe that we'll ever have a reckoning of the racist one day. But it's like, it's really fascinating to watch all of this and then to watch like, you know, white men get accused, white women run to the mat to like go protect them. And then I'm like, oh yeah, this is exactly how fucked up our politics are. And it's why like, it's hard to trust white feminists. It's why it is so goddamn hard to just even to think that you have the same destination as people that you believe you are in political movements with. Because at the end of the day, you're just like, oh, you're just white women who want to marry white men and have white children and like make more white people. Whoa. And some of us like, it's true. And then some of us just like, you know, it's like, we're just here along for the ride and we get to watch. And so it's a place like where, you know, like we talk about this a lot here where I'm like, you need to be a little more brave and you need to have like a bigger backbone because some of us are doing like really hard work and the conditions don't stack up and some of you get to benefit from that and white women benefit from the labor of black women all of the time when it comes to like how we deal with this kind of shit. Right. And I do think 100% that like Me Too is an invitation to like think about what lines are you drawing as like around acceptability when it comes to all of your beliefs, like not just those about like gender and harassment, like 100%. Ooh, it's all the Andrea Dorkin I'm reading, my favorite white lady terrorist. Like, I am so fired up right now. Let's do a speed round of some other listener questions as long as we're in like mailbag mode. I'm going to read the first one. I'm a woman who works in tech and recently attended an all-women tech recruiting event. My role was to schmooze with potential applicants in the hopes of recruiting women to join our all-male tech team. <laughs> I approached, sorry, not to laugh in the middle of this letter. <laughs> I approached a group of women and addressed them as, quote, guys, as in, hey guys. And one woman said, quote, I prefer not to be referred to as a guy. I was very taken aback and apologized and then immediately asked, so where do you guys work? To my great embarrassment. What are your thoughts on this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not to laugh, but this is classic. <laughs> We've all been there, right, though, of like knowing we're not like like saying the wrong thing, like inadvertently. Not me, not I. Never I said was the born woke. Yeah. Of course I've done it every single time. That's why I'm laughing. Okay. I'm like classic. Let me, get to, let me just read the last little bit of this letter. She says, what are your thoughts on this? In my own life, I use guys as a gender neutral term, often addressing a group of women as guys. But I understand that it is a gendered word and can see why it would make some women working in 
an extreme minority uncomfortable. At the same time, I feel like the word is so commonly used in gender-neutral contexts, it's a bit overkill to harp on it. This is like kind of one of these things too where I'm like, this is a little bit intellectually dishonest. You know what I mean? Like, not that it comes from a place of wanting to be dishonest, but it's like, come on, 2018, guys, there's no dictionary in the world in which guys is not like a male term. (laughs) And if you are reclaiming it to be like some sort of gender neutral term, it's interesting that you would use like a male term to make things gender neutral when they are the majority. Like, that's weird. (laughs) For me, this is just easy. And the answer is, like, don't make assumptions. There are words that are better than this, so so train yourself to default to them. Like, personally, I am not offended by being referred to in a group of people, no matter their gender, in, like, a hey guys way. But I also understand that that is me personally, and that is, like, a highly specific point of view on this. And so, you know, training yourself with the, like, hey, you all, hey, everyone, hey, pals, yeah, hey people. or hey, <laughs> hey, everybody. Yeah. You know, like there, this is the thing about, you know, this is where my Aries uh, word nerd comes in. I love <laughs> like how word aggr- nerdy this episode is. <laughs> yes, like aggressive word nerd, like the Aries aggressive word nerd is one, refer to people as they would like to be referred to. I have personally called people the wrong pronoun. I have used you guys before. I, you know, like all of these things. But I always say it costs you nothing apologize because you did do the wrong thing and something that is seemingly small to you like calling this person you guys at the conference forever and she says i do not want to be referred to as you guys for some people at least it is a polite way of telling you actually this causes me a lot of pain and i'm not going to get into it because you are a stranger but especially if you're somebody who's in a recruiting position it's like well if you're trying to get people to come to your workplace or to your side you should probably be more accommodating of other people but also the aggressive Aries word in me just says there are better words to use yeah. like there are truly better words to use than you guys you can do what I do which is my Texas cop out y'all y'all is all the y'all. best <laughs> if it's just two people you can keep saying you both when I am really unclear about somebody's gender pronoun and I'm too sheepish or cowardly to ask them I just keep referring to them as their name there are there's so many things that you can do to sidestep this and truly it costs you nothing to call somebody what they want to be called as like cool ladies or whatever, I would not be happy if somebody called me a bitch or a cunt or whatever, even if in their vernacular, that was like a totally gender neutral way. If I was like, hey, cunt, people. hey. <laughs> yeah, hey, cunt, hey. Like, how's it going, bitch? Oh God, I can't even imagine. You know, like, yeah. <laughs> it's true. It's like, just think about like, you know, and there is somebody for who like, that's the thing that they do. But I'm like, if that person called me that, I would get upset. And so it costs you nothing. And it's not personal. Apologize and move on. And especially if you're doing it in a work context, you are not going to have more women come work for you if you can't call them the pronoun that they like. <laughs> that's the like simmering lowest level of like hostile work environment. You know, like that's how those are the flags. Or yeah, or like they, I think of it too is just like, like the default should be the most inclusive. Like it's not about like whether someone is sensitive or too sensitive. It's not about like the woke Olympics. It's just like, Default to the most inclusive thing, unless you have more info. Like, easy, Exactly. And when somebody calls you in, because it's not a call out, it is a call in, it's not personal. It's that they are giving you better tools and language to address them. And you should, if you claim that you want to work with them, you should hop on board. Also, you know, 
let's all learn new things. Yeah. Great. Let's do it. <laughs> let's do it. Let's do it. Ooh, Amina Dworkin just out here. Ugh. These are all small questions and truly to the people who write them in, like you are fabulous. There is nothing wrong with you. You're not the only one wondering them. This is actually why we respond to them. So if we read your question today, it's not because it's not because we're like trying to make an example of you, but it's rather because actually a lot of people think what you do and we get a lot of this kind of rubric of question a lot. Oh my God. I just did a search in my Gmail inbox for Hey Guys and got like the one to 50 of many results. So like, <laughs> I'm sure that's not only- Yes, like we all do yes. it. We all do yeah. it. But the anxiety over it is like not, should not be warranted because there are other ways to come back. There this. is a better way. <laughs> exactly. Okay. To another listener question. I've been listening to your show for years. Thank you. We hope you will keep listening. (laughs) (laughs) Having your oh-so-relevant conversations in my ear have been a saving grace in a workplace with a heavy majority of men. I recently got promoted leapfrogging over my supervisor to become the facility manager. It is an amazing opportunity for my career advancement, and I love the job. That being said, my former supervisor has been super salty recently. Within the same breath, he claims to be proud of me, that I'm doing better than any of my predecessors, and that he feels like he's been demoted, ignored, and is tempted to start looking for work elsewhere. He is an extremely valuable member of the team, and I can't afford to lose him. But I do not want to have to coddle his fragile masculinity. How do I even begin to navigate this question? Good for you for not wanting to have empathy here, or like at least checking your empathy. And also congrats on your promotion. Yeah, look at you, look at you, look at you. I'm into this. Man, this is super tricky, right? Because, like, let's be real. You didn't promote yourself. Like, a system promoted you over this person. It To me, when people cannot be happy for your promotion, it says more about them than it says about you. And if you are this person's direct manager, like, ooh, like that's definitely a sticking point. But it's something that you need to talk. You need to be like, put it all on the table and say, hey, this makes me uncomfortable. How can we keep working together? Because there's a reason that you got promoted over him. Like there is. And I'm not going to get into it because I don't I don't pick the winners at your job. But it doesn't have to be a death sentence for him. And maybe it is true that he has to start looking for work elsewhere. That might be a way that they're signaling to him to do that. Like, I don't know that for sure. But like, that's a pretty good signal. Also, being a manager is, is I mean, look, like, I'm not going to say being a manager involves coddling fragile masculinity. But being a manager involves coddling a lot of different personality problems, right? And like shortcomings. Like, that is like part of what managing people is. And so, like, I think that... I don't see it as necessarily like there's a way to do this that is not coddling, but like directly addressing like the um, the things that you've mentioned here. Like he feels like he is being ignored. You need to ask for specificity there. Like what are the ways in which you do not feel like you are being seen by this team? Hey, you're looking for work elsewhere or you're tempted to start looking. Why is that? Like, you know, there are there are certainly like concrete things that are that are prompting you to describe his behavior this way. And I feel like you should use those things as opportunities to initiate a really specific conversation. That's not, hey, why do you feel like, you know, sad that I was promoted over you? <laughs> but that is like, why did you mention you're tempted to start looking for work? I mean, you yourself said you you can't afford to lose this person as your employee. And so 
I actually don't think it's coddling to make that clear. I mean, like whatever is going on with his masculinity and however fragile it is, is kind of his problem. Like your job is how can I make sure this person stays in the job and does their best work? Um, right. Yeah. And also you can go above the chain over your head and like to whoever is managing you now and saying, hey, this is a challenge that I have. You were part of making this decision. What do you think the solution is? Because clearly when they promoted you over him, like they knew they had an inkling that this was going to happen. So I think that it's truly okay to say, I don't quite know how to navigate this and I need help navigating this because it's going to take, you know, like it's going to take him being open to working for someone who he used to manage, which I'm not going to lie is like challenging and painful in its own right. It's going to take you, you know, like admitting to the fact that, um, it is challenging for you and for whoever like manages <laughs> up your chain to also say, okay, this is a problem that I help create and I should help like fix. So figure out like what the thinking was behind getting you um, behind getting you the job that you have and how they can help to do that for you. Right. Um, I love this. And I'm going to say it again. Congrats, because I hope you, Congratulations. <laughs> I hope you were celebrating this also as like a great achievement for yourself and not just a mess that you're cleaning up with your glass shovel. <laughs> That's right. And I hope that they 100% also are giving you more money in addition to a nice title. Yes. Title, money, all of the things. Oh, my God. Congratulations. I love it when ladies get jobs. Also, what a posy note to end on. I love it. I love it. I love it. I'm going to go back to reading more Andrea Dworkin and getting more enraged. And I will see you on the other side, boobie. <laughs> see you on the internet. You can find us many places on the internet on our website, callyourgirlfriend.com. You can download it anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast or on Apple Podcasts, where we'd love it if you left us a review. You can email us at callyrgf at gmail.com or on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at callyrgf. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter, The Bleed, on the Call Your Girlfriend website. Uh, you can even leave us a short and sweet voicemail at 714-681-2943. That's 714-681-CYGF. Our theme song is by Robin. All original music is composed by Carolyn Pennypacker Riggs. Our logos are by Kanisha Seed. And this podcast is produced by Gina Delvac. I almost said see you on the internet, my cunt. And I did not. <laughs> <laughs>